0: Enterprise Intelligence is a weekly video series that talks to industry experts, global thought leaders, and seasoned knowledge workers about how they're tackling their information
1: challenges, embracing new technologies, and moving the needle on performance. Hosted by ShinyDocs founder and CEO, Jason Cassidy. I'm joined today by Susan Gleason. She's the Information Governance Manager for Shipman and Goodwin LLP and is currently the Executive Vice President for the New England Chapter of ARM International. Welcome, Sue. It's good to talk to you again.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, it, it, it's my pleasure. It is uh, like hearkening back to the, what I'll say, the good old days. When I first learned about information governance, I worked at Open Text Corporation. I worked in an engineering consulting firm where the data that they collected and the stories that the engineers told were of critical, important records to the business the idea of how to get people to do this as part of their regular practice was underdeveloped at the time or perhaps non-existent the ways that people previously encouraged others to start acting in favor of information governance was just by theat by people saying you must do it this way you must add the attributes and you must store it in exactly the right spot turns out we weren't really good at that it's like being told to go to the gym some of us do it all the time some of us don't but there are best practices out there to encourage people and it seems like like you've cracked the code on that quite a bit. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your journey, about how you discovered this, maybe give a bit of an overview as to some of the key tenets of how to get buy-in for an IG program.
0: The biggest thing I go back to all the time is I actually started my career in a completely different field. I started off working in group homes and eventually running a vocational program for autistic adults. And when I switched into working in, first, the law firm as a paralegal, people joked with me that autistic and attorney, there really wasn't that much of a difference, but I actually find we all have tendencies in different areas, but the biggest thing you have to do is recognize them. What I learned from that type of work is there is no one size fits all. So you can read any book you want, you can do anything that you want, but if you Try to apply, nope, this is how it has to be. There's always going to be that one outlier who refuses to follow or refuses to fall in line or will come back at you with, that doesn't work for me or I don't work that way. So you really have to start to learn your people. It's not just about knowing information governance, it's not just about knowing the rules, it's about really understanding how the people you're trying to apply the rules to work.
1: I'd imagine there's still some workloads that will require the data cleanup people or the data police if it were there will be some people who are working with proprietary applications or you might have the engineering drafts people saying I have to use the shared drive again I can't use that thing until I'm done with the project how how do you work with those people is it something where you just need to staff around them to help or is there some ways that we can encourage them to be part of the information governance practice as well
0: I think you have to work with them and maybe okay so if your company's rule is everything's stored in a document management system. But then all of a sudden, you discover that engineers who have these, you know, massive drafts and drawings that don't fit into your document management system, you have to create a way for them to do their work without interfering too much, but also comply within the rules. So maybe there's a practice where they have a secured shared drive where they're storing those documents while they're working on. Once the matter is closed, there's a plan to zip them and go forward. you have to involve it and other people to come up with a plan that will allow them to still comply with the rules but get their job done
1: it's it's awesome if you can find that kind of stable balance point. I have been in rooms where where for example, engineering will say, uh, okay, we get the value of this because the ability to recall and support the decisions we made is so valuable and then, the people on the other side of the room will say we make every dollar for this engineering firm that i work for don't get in my way with something extra to do so there's a real push pull and in in, of interest there isn't there
0: very much and you end up one of the biggest things i learned early on when i moved into information governance is make friends with it because i've been fortunate now i have a really good relationship with our cio but i've been in positions before where it would bring us to the table because there was something new they were launching office 365 being a big one and We got a seat at the table, we voiced our opinions, they didn't like our opinions, and all of a sudden, all these behind-door meetings went on that we didn't know about until somebody mentioned something, we're like, wait a minute, because they would back us out and run wild with what they wanted to do, and then it was like, oops, we made a mess, come clean it up. I think you have to make sure that you're staying in the loop, and you're staying on top of things, and if you have a good working relationship with IT, and also learning to speak the language, because in some ways, IT is a separate world of its own. So you have to understand what they're talking about. You have to have some working knowledge of how things work in order to speak the language and keep up with some of the conversations and meetings, because the last thing you want to do, especially when you're dealing with an engineer, or in my situation with lawyers, is I don't want to tell a partner, no, you can't work that way that's not going to keep my job for very long. I want to be able to, okay, this is how you work. Let me figure out how we can work around that and let you still do what you're going to do. Once you've built that trust with someone that I'm not trying to take away your ability to do your job, I'm trying to help you do your job easier. I think it gets easier and easier to convince them to give things a try you can't be firm and inflexible and this is it. There are situations and things you have to be concerned of with privacy laws and things, so you have to make sure what you're doing is in compliance with that, but there is flexibility. We, we don't have to draw a 100% hard line in the sand. There's always going to be the outliers who are absolutely, totally not willing to bend. And that's at the point where you have to, you've hopefully convinced the rest of the team that you're working with that this is the way to go and they're all moving forward and you're always going to have that one or two people. That's when you kind of draw the line in the sand of, nope, look, everybody else is on board. It's time for you to get there.
1: And you touched on some of the value propositions of this. It'd be fun to explore The front of business value, maybe we should start at what I think is the lowest hanging fruit of the the negative drivers, the sticks, if you will, like the danger of data breaches, cyber threats, and that obviously that's becoming far and more mainstream right now as motivators for organizations. How does that change your ability to act within the organization more steeped in some obvious threats that are out there for companies?
0: I think it helps a lot, especially with the light of all of the data breaches that are occurring more and more frequently and all of the hacking attempts and all of the virus attempts and everything that you read in the news. When I'm doing trainings and the general, what is information governance and kind of the overviews. I scroll through the news. I find whatever I can that's like the scariest story that I possibly can about a data breach or about a couple years or many years ago now. But we had a doctor in Connecticut who closed their practice and stored the records, the medical records, in their garage for seven years because that's all they needed to keep them for. And then they put them out with the garbage on the street. Oh, No. Yeah, <laughs> I give people the scary stories. And if your medical records got put for the garbage men to pick up and we're you know, blowing across the lawn because the wind came through, how happy would you be? How happy are our customers and our clients going to be if we do something like that? Somebody once said something about we set the bar so that you don't end up behind bars. But the more you can give people real life examples of if you are not making sure that your data is protected and that your data is securely stored and that you're disposing of data when you should be disposing of data. These are the things that can happen. And these are real examples of what has happened to other people. I'm here to make sure you don't end up in that position.
1: How does the front of the business recognize the reputational damage Like obviously there's gonna be the cost of recovery, which might be paying off some type of ransomware attacker. It might actually be just literally the idea of having to recover your systems, buy new systems, whatever it is. Either way, it's not inexpensive to recover from a data breach or any other cyber threat or even just a catastrophic crash of your systems. But the reputational damages to me, Seems like they, it eclipses all the value of the other things. Is that recognized by the front of the business? Typically, do you see?
0: I think it depends on what level you are within the business. I think in senior leadership level, yes, it's definitely recognized and they're seeing it. I think the further down in the business you go, the less it's recognized and the less there's understanding. So I think you have to target your audience in your trainings and in your approach to people. There's a lot of
1: front of office value to having a good information governance practice like it's I think of an example where as part of your typical supply chain when somebody needs to fix something or when somebody's opening up a new matter that hasn't been touched in a couple of years. There is a recovery time associated with that, you have to validate that you have the right, the newest piece of information you might have to go and talk to the other people. If you could pre-ordain that with the right metadata to show you that this indeed was the final contract, this hasn't been superseded and all that, and and people can open it up, then boom, 40 hours turns into four minutes. At the front of the business, uh, how successful have you been with helping the front of the business understand that they can be more profitable, have a better customer experience with having a better information governance program?
0: I think people are starting to see the benefit of, especially with the pandemic. Hey, what she says makes sense. If I had scanned all these documents, I wouldn't be trying to come in the office and take home 10 boxes of files because I have everything and I have the current version. I don't have 80 drafts that I have to weed through and figure out or my documents are named appropriately and they're saved appropriately and I can tell what's the latest version because I see it all in front of me on the screen.
1: Yeah, which, which seems absurd to a technologist like myself or your, yourself, Sue, where the idea of having the PDF available and ready on every one of my devices because it's secured and synchronized and all these types of things just seems casually easy. And it's interesting that it is novel to to some knowledge workers.
0: Definitely novel, especially in certain areas of different career paths the concept of keeping things electronically and like trusts and estates notoriously because you have to have original wet signatures in that that's probably one of the very few areas of almost anything that you still are required to have the wet signatures but you can also have a copy that you've printed off and the lawyer has certified that it's a conform copy of what is in our will ball
1: It's neat. And you even mentioned wet signatures. And that's something that like people hold fairly dearly from, I I know when we've done like past financing and these types of things, they want that wet signature because their lawyer told them that they need it. And as the technologist, I sit here going, I would much rather have the digital copy that is signed digitally signed so I, I can verify that I'm the only one with the private key and we can even put a copy of the hash of that file into a public blockchain Ethereum and then it validates that it is indeed the de facto contract but somehow this old timey gold standard is like a wet signature that, that they have to do. So I feel like we're, we're a few miles away from applying some of these new technologies that are irrefutable to this business that needs to be modernized a little bit.
0: We definitely are. And a lot of that I think is driven by the courts because look at it, it was only what 2004 that the federal rules came out about electronic discovery and some real significant changes in that world. I think the pandemic again has brought advancements in that area because it's becoming recognized of, hey, you might not always be able to get that wet signature. You might not always be able to hold that in-person hearing. It's transformed a lot of the world as far as our lives, because people are realizing, and nobody ever thought that this pandemic was going to go on as long as it has. And so they, okay, it's okay to shut down for a month, but then when it became three months, four months, a year, two years, we need to continue to function. How do we do this?
1: We we underestimate what we can do in certain time frames, and we overestimate what we can do in other time frames, and. uh, However, I, I have found that certain obvious technologies just obviously happen in one in the information governance space is the idea to me that at some point there won't be a concept of unstructured data and structured data. It will all just be data. We'll be able to ask questions of it. We'll get back a good normalized response in a rapid way. How far away do you think we are from that? It's... In, in a sense,
0: I think that depending on the industry you're in, I worked for a company previously that when I was interviewing, they kept telling me, we don't have paper. And I was like, there's no way you don't have paper. Everybody has paper. No, they truly did not have paper. They had petabytes of data, <laughs> yep. but they didn't have paper. And it was amazing. But then you go to, on the other hand, to law firms. And I know from talking to my peers that I, we are not the only law firm in this situation. Just yesterday, I got a call to go look at an area on a floor and I opened an office door that I didn't know existed. And it's just wall to wall files. And I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> it's, I've been in the building three years and never saw this room before. So I think we are light years away from being paperless and unstructured data. And I, I just think it's going to take a long time to get there. I'm glad that
1: you say that in that I I think if we had looked at like Gartner and Forrester 10 years ago, they would say, oh, this is a red ocean, is that there's already lots of players who are doing a great job of enterprise content management and all that, and there's no opportunity for anybody else. And oddly enough, here we are 10 years later and agreeing, there's so much work to be done. It feels like we've learned a lot about ourselves since we've started this digital journey.
0: And there's so many niche markets and so many new players. Every time you turn around, there's some new product coming on the field and some great ones, some not so great ones. But they, just trying to keep up with the volume of information of what's being developed is a full-time position within itself because there are so many companies out there. And so it's, it's a challenge to evaluate what's worth spending my time on, what's not.
1: Building on that, it's it seems to me like information governance and information and data management and digital transformation, if we're going to package it all up in the trillion-dollar-plus uh, package per year that people are spending on digitally transforming their business, I, I think we used to think that information management was like gardening. Here's all my information, and I just need to plant some more, and I need to prune some And it turned out it was a little bit more like regional and international transportation. You got plane loads coming in, you got truckloads coming out, you've got social contracts where we try not to drive and give each other the finger, where we're like, we got some other rules, we've got police and legislation, and it all has to come together in a harmonious way that is efficient and doesn't put anybody in jail and nobody gets injured. it's not the garden, it is something much bigger, and I think that's why there's such a plurality of vendors and so many different people and why we are a little immature as a industry. Would you agree with that metaphor or would you expand on it at a little?
0: I, I agree. Completely. To expand on it, you also have to watch out for what fell into the pothole or what (laughs) is down the ditch on the side of the road Mm -hmm. that you didn't think about. Because every time you think you've got a path forward, it's like up pops the gopher in the garden who's eating all your carrots. You've got to figure out what's going on. I think in order to stay on top of things, I think we all have to work together. Being involved and active in associations to me is key. It always has been in everything in my career, and when I was a paralegal, like I always told people every job change I've made, everything I've learned, everything I've done, a big part of that comes from the associations, from the networks that I've built. And I know right now, if I have a problem, I have a network of you a know, hundred people that I can turn to and say, hey, what did you do when you ran into this? Or what product are you using for this? It's invaluable to have those connections that you build. And I think people need to recognize that it's not only about the learning or applying the software or applying the technologies or managing the data, it encompasses your whole life.
1: Maybe we could poke at like the chief information officer, for example, within an organization where historically they've always been more of like the chief application officer, where they are responsible for like the migration to m365 from their on-prem sharepoint or make sure that the email is secure or that type of thing but the value has always been the data that gets generated as exhaust from processes and now we want to start using that to be predictive and fuel our organization. Does that need, mean that we need a new generation of CIOs? Or is there something that we can do with the CIOs that we have right now who have the application experience to then bring in some more information experience to help them transform their business?
0: I don't know if it's so much a new generation of CIOs of a new C-suite position of SEGO. Chief Information Governance Officer in addition to C- the CIOs. Because to me, the CIOs own the applications. They own the rules around how the applications interact, how they work. To a degree, the data privacy, security, the firewalls, everything on the network. But information governance should control the contents of what's in there make the rules around the content. And I think either one of them is too big of a job for one person to hold on to.
1: I, I agree, because you look and people will pick on colonial pipelines or other because it's they're in the news a lot. And I'm sure that their information, uh, their applications were probably secure in the way that they exchanged information. I don't know much or anything about it. I'm sure they were fine and they would check the box and say that their firewalls were secure and all that kind of stuff. But there was some information governance practice that was missing for at least 100 ter- or gigabytes of information in this case. And it ended up giving a big reputational hit. So I, I think that really supports the type of thing that you're suggesting there, is that there is something else that needs to be brought to the table to ensure that these things don't happen.
0: It's gone on for years and years. You can go way back, look at Enron and you know other disasters mm-hmm. like that where people were shredding documents. Like clearly you're not complying with your <laughs> retention schedule. Whereas if you had the data electronically and secured, that probably wouldn't
1: have happened. Thanks so much, Sue. It, how, how do people get in touch with you?
0: You can reach me through LinkedIn or through my email, which I will, I guess you're gonna post.
1: we so put I it up on the screen email. there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, talking to S- Susan Gleason. She's the Information Governance Manager for Shippland and Goodwin, and currently the Executive Vice President for the New England chapter of ARM International. Thanks so much, Susan. Thanks so much. <laughs>